Well, good morning, and thanks for being here. Um, this morning, I was thinking about my seventh grade year in school, and uh, I went to a school back in the Stone Age, I guess, before they had, they had not gone to the middle school model, so the transition was from uh, sixth grade was part of elementary school, and then you transitioned to seventh grade and eighth grade as junior high. Um, so, you know, whatever that whatever age you're transitioning, whether it's from fifth grade to sixth grade middle school or sixth grade to seventh grade junior high, we all know that transition from like an elementary school to middle school, whatever we call it, is a hard transition, let alone we have all these bodily changes happening within us, right? So it's a hard time for physically, socially, those transitions are a hard time, and for me it was no different. And, uh, Besides the normal awkwardness of transitions like that, uh, something that sticks with me as a lasting memory is my experience with the, the, the uh, junior high basketball team. So, uh, if I remember correctly, it was sometime in November, they had had tryouts for the, the junior high basketball team. And, and the, it was a small school, so they just had a single junior high basketball team. And I tried out for a couple days, and they were to announce the, the rosters, who made the final cut that next Monday morning in chapel. And yes, it was in chapel. I went to a, a Christian school, and that meant we had a regular uh, chapel service every Monday morning, sort of like uh, a school-wide assembly for those unfamiliar. You know, all the students were there, all the teachers, so on and so forth. Now, a weekend prior, I had spent the, uh, the weekend at my friend's house, and he also attended um, he also attended church, so I went to the church with him that Sunday morning, and I so I packed church clothes, but I did not just pack any church clothes. I packed uh, my purple pinstriped suit. Yes, it was a purple pinstriped suit. So um, sixth grade graduation, right? Because I went to a school that had uh, sixth grade to seventh grade. So sixth grade, we, we graduated, and my mom, of course, wanted to get me something nice to wear to the graduation. So we went to, I think it was like Burlington Coat Factory, and we went in, and the, the salesperson measured me, and then they said, well, here, why don't you try this suit on just for size? And she pulled out this purple pinstripe suit. And for whatever reason, my mom and I just loved it, and we ended up buying it. I know. Uh, it was the 90s. Remember that. It was the 90s. So I had this purple pinstripe suit uh, that I packed. I don't remember why I decided to, like, <laughs> to bring it to my friend's house and uh, wear it to church that day. Um, so both that Sunday to my friend's church and then that Monday morning for chapel, I wore uh, the purple pinstripe suit. The only problem was that I forgot socks. So I was, I'm good today and wearing these, these hopefully somewhat stylish blue socks here. That Sunday, or that Sunday, I forgot to pack any kind of dress socks. So I was wearing these white tube socks with my purple pinstripe suit. And uh, I can't remember, I feel like I called my parents to bring me black socks on Sunday or Monday. My mom, I can't remember if they actually made it in. Uh, so I decided that I'd wear my purple pinstripe suit on Sunday, then also on Monday, 
to school chapel. And again, I wasn't, you, you might think, oh my goodness, he's wildly overdressed for school. But no, because uh, the school I went to, you were supposed to dress up for chapel. So all the boys were supposed to wear a shirt and tie. And I think the girls uh, had to wear a skirt or dress of some kind. So, you know, I was just, I was just slightly overdressed in my purple pinstripe suit. So uh, that Monday morning, I was sitting there on the first row, kind of like, like where Paul's sitting, and the, the athletic director comes up to the stage and he reads the list of everyone who had made the team. And he starts reading through these names. Josh Grayson, Sean Payton, Dennis Allen, Mark Driscoll, Jeff Wright, Drake Smith, Jonathan Williams, Mike Kliss, Sam Sanders, John Gray, Eric Goodwin, Jeremy Polson. That was the end of the list. My name was not on the list. And I was obviously super bummed, sitting there in my purple pinstripe suit with my white tube socks on the front row. Man, it brings back... Oh, bummer. And that last name on the list, Jeremy Polson, was the guy I had just spent the weekend with prior. So that kind of was an extra suckiness. And if you're wondering, yes, those 11 names prior, I just made those up. I don't remember the entire roster of my seventh grade basketball team. So that was, that was a bummer. And because up to that point, I, I thought I was a pretty decent basketball player, you know, just with like, just with like a little opportunity and a little coaching, I could become pretty good. And that kind of was, whoop, slashed that dream right there. Not that I never stopped playing basketball, but at that moment, it was kind of like this, this ripping off of the Band-Aid of real life, right? I was told I wasn't good enough, and it's sort of, sort of uh, what we all often have to hear, right? That life, life is being about, seemingly about being told that we're not good enough. At least for most of us, you know, I, those of us, I don't know if there's any of us here, uh, maybe Paul, right? They're exceptionally talented. <laughs> for, you know, for those exceptionally talented, good-looking, that's definitely not me, or uh, extremely skilled, things come easier. They're told because of their skill, their talent, their good looks, whatever, that uh, they have what it takes to be successful in their endeavors. And far from being discouraged or, uh, or, or, what's the word? Or discouraged, I can't think of the other word I'm looking for. They're, they're often lavished with praise about their skill, talent, or good looks. And it seems like for the rest of us, and especially those, uh, especially women, uh, minorities, those differently abled, the rest of us have to deal with these um, constant reminders that we're not good enough, we're not attractive enough, we're not whatever enough. We don't have what it takes. And that has a way of weighing, weighing on a person, like weighing us down. And I think more, it, it isolates us, it alienates us, it drives us apart. From one another. So maybe it was just maybe it was just the consequence of growing up, getting older, and growing apart. But it seemed like from that point on, my my friendship with Jeremy Polson kind of 
disintegrated. You know, we went to a small, we, were, we went to a small uh, a school, so we kind of had maintained this sort of social acquaintanceship, I guess, through uh, junior high and high school, but it seemed like from that point on, our friendship was never really the same. And maybe it was just, maybe it was just growing up, maybe it was just life. But I also wondered, like, you know, maybe it was, he had this new community, this basketball brotherhood, if you will, these people who supported him, who encouraged him, and I was left alone by myself in a sense, lefting, or left to wish and wonder how things had been, might have been different. You know, with that message playing on in my head, you're not good enough. We've all been there at some point, right? Told we're not good enough, alienated and alone with that message replaying in our head, what if I'm not good enough? What can we do when we're in that spot? Well, this morning I want to say that the Bible has an interesting story, has some good news about us for that situation. So today we're continuing our series on doubt, looking at the question, what if I'm not good enough? So we're, we're doing so, we're looking at the story of Moses. And Moses is a legendary character in the Bible, uh, known for the Ten Commandments, crossing the Red Sea, uh, doing lots of uh, spectacular events, and leading the Israelites through the desert for 40 years. But before he could do all those amazing things, he had to himself to deal with that question, what if I'm not good enough? So we're going to read this morning uh, from the book of Exodus. If you'd like to follow along, it'll also be on your screen here. Uh, but from Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 15, and Exodus is way at the front of the Bible, and it tells the story of this, this burgeoning community of people called the Israelites in their kind of their beginning story. So we're going to start in verse 10 of chapter 4. It says, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? It is, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. But he, Moses, Moses said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, What of your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he can speak fluently. Even now he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, his heart will be glad. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. So, and I kind of jumped into the story there, and for sake of not reading like two chapters, uh, we kind of jumped into it. But the, the backstory basically is this. Moses, uh, he had his own kind of complicated backstory, but he grew up and was uh, raised essentially by the pharaoh or the king of Egypt's daughter. And he grew up kind of in the, the royal household until he kind of uh, becomes an adult and he makes some bad decisions and he ends up running away from the country. And he goes out uh, to another, another country, I guess you'd say, and he gets married and he's working for his father-in-law and he's in the middle of I don't know, the wilderness somewhere, and he's, he's with the sheep, and all of a sudden he sees this, this bush, 
just engulfed in flames. And the Bible says that despite it's seemingly burning, it, doesn't, it's not, it wasn't consumed. And he hears the voice of God speaking to him, telling him, Moses, I want you to go back to the land of Egypt and bring my people, or God said, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And this is where Moses gets into all these excuses and says, I'm not good enough, God. I'm not good enough. I can't, I can't talk well. I'm not well-versed. I'm not eloquent. And God's like, hold on. Am I not the one who creates the mouth and the tongue? I'm not, am I not the one who enables people to speak? And it was quite the conversation. And, uh, you know, despite, despite repeated assurances from God that God would be with him, Moses is unconvinced. And it says to God, basically, God, what if I'm not good enough? It seems Moses was so concerned about his speaking abilities that he wasn't eloquent enough that Moses says, I am not good enough. Just send somebody else. And again, God's response is like, hey, I created humans. I can help you talk. I'll make sure that I'm with you every step of the way. Still, though, Moses is doubting. So a somewhat impatient God we might say, says, fine, you know what? I'll get your brother Aaron to help you. He's a good speaker and he can help you finish the job. And again, God says, I'm going to be with you. You know, I think one interesting part of that story is when Moses asks God for God's name, God says, and it depends on the translation you read it from, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. What's interesting, though, is about that is God is basically saying, you can't define me. You can't put me in a box. That's a little side note, which I thought was kind of cool. But God says, I'm going to be with you, but you can't, you can't put me in a box. So the other thing is, God says, I'm going to be present with you, Moses, but also God offers to get Moses some help another human to go alongside of him. In short, God gives Moses community. When doubting himself, wondering if he was good enough, God says to Moses, with my help, you are good enough, and I'm not going anywhere. And even then, when you're still feeling alone and left behind, here's a community of support to help you through the times, through those dark times, in the name of your brother Aaron, to help you along the way. See, this is the thing about the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus was written long ago to this ancient community to create and strengthen their community. People could read this ancient book and say, this is where I come from, this is where I belong, these are my people. The ancient writer of Exodus understood the gift of community. And though we are not Israelites, we are not Jewish people, we can still learn from these ancient teachings and be strengthened by the wisdom of community. So if you've ever been in the position of Moses, if you've ever been like me, doubting your abilities, questioning yourself, wondering if you're not good enough, know this morning know this morning that with God, you're always 
good enough. And God isn't going anywhere. And know that when you engage in community, being with others, you are strengthened. Because community reminds us of God's presence. This is why community matters. Each and every time the ancient Israelites read these words, every time they heard these words read aloud, every time they were gathered in community, they were reminded of God's presence with them. I believe that the same is true today. Each time we read these words of Scripture, each time we gather in community, each time we hear words read aloud, we too are reminded of God's presence. To me, this is why church matters. Community truly is a gift. So this morning, I invite you to say yes to community. Because when we say yes to community, we experience the gift of sharing our struggles. Now, I grew up in a, in a church culture, and perhaps you're familiar with it, where uh, sharing your struggles wasn't optional. Like, it was, it was either, it was either one, one extreme or the other. Like, you just kept it all to yourself and pretended like everything was fine, or you got in this accountability group where you kind of were made to share all your junk. To me, neither one is really healthy. To me, what I believe true community is about is when we come together and share our struggles willingly, supporting one another as we so choose in an authentic way. That's what true community is. When we also say yes to community, we experience being in and part of a community able to help one another. So when uh, I was walking back from the gym yesterday in my house, and I noticed there's a new neighbor moving in. That house, she noticed too. And as the guy was backing up the truck with his kid, good, good neighbor, me, right, walking on past, I thought, boy, moving is rough. I hope this guy has a community to help him. That's what community is about. And I guess I should have been a better community neighbor and offered to help him, right? But when we say yes to community, we also experience the reminder of the presence of God. I believe that God is most present in community. And I think it, it sort of makes sense because if we are created in the image of God, if God is indwelt in us, then it makes sense that when we're together, we experience God in a fuller way. But that's not all. When we say yes to community, we commit to building community together. We commit to strengthening our community together. We commit to growing our community together. Because after all, this is our community, right? This is our community. Something we believe in. Something we've invested in. Something we've worked for. So we want it to grow and thrive. I wish on my own, perhaps, I could provide community. I wish, I, perhaps on my own, I could help everyone in their struggles. I wish, perhaps on my own, I could come along every, every person. But there's this, there's this churchy word for what it means to be in community. Historically, it's been called the priesthood of all believers, which means that every one of us, every one of us is equipped to provide community to be with one another in their struggles, to come alongside every person. It doesn't have to be someone special like a pastor 
or a worship leader or a children's teacher. We can all be with each other and support one another in community. So when we say yes to community, we experience the gift of community, but more so we experience and we enable others to receive that very gift of community. That's something we can do together as a community, creating more community. Because together, we're a small community. That's okay. But together, we're creating a place where people are affirmed. You know, this last, this last week, last Thursday, if you remember um, seeing the announcement, perhaps you're an email, Mission Gathering Thornton helped sponsor a, an author event for an LGBTQ author uh, down in Denver. And I was proud to be there and supporting the, the event because in the, in, the, in the quadrant of Denver, if you imagine it as a, as a quadrant, in our northeast quadrant, we are the only affirming church in our area. So we have a vital, we have a vital message and mission. And this author's, her biggest point was that she wants to help people of faith learn and experience ways to, to come and be who they truly are while not being forced to abandon their faith. Because that's, that's the message that so much of Christianity has given them for so long that you're either a Christian or you're LGBTQ plus person. She said, uh-uh, here's how to be, live out your faith and live out who God made you to be. So that's why community is so important. And that's what we're doing together. Even though we're, we might be a small community, we're creating this space. We're building this space. We're building and we're living into this mission because we're creating a place where people can be affirmed in their faith and in their identity. We're creating a place for them. That's why, that's why this matters so much. That's why I believe in this so much. And I... That's why I want you to be a part of it so much, because this matters. It matters. I mean, you listen to the stories of people, listening to the stories I heard Thursday evening. It's heartbreaking. That's why I'm, I'm honored, and I'm humbled, and I'm thrilled to be able to provide this space. And that's why I'm honored, and I'm thrilled, and I'm humbled to be able to do it together with you. Because together we're doing it. We're creating that place you know, Easter is, Easter is only a couple weeks away, three weeks away, I guess. And there's going to be people looking for a place to worship on Sunday morning, looking for a place to experience God's love, looking for a place to be affirmed, looking for a place to find community. Together, we can help them find it here. Together, we can be the community they're looking for. So, I need your help in this. Because I can't, I can't do community all myself. So I want to I encourage you today to invite someone, share it on Facebook. Uh, soon I'm going to have about 1,500 door hangers uh, hopefully coming this week. So next week I'll have some door hangers with me. So maybe just grab some door hangers next week and then if you're not a people person hanging on your neighbor's door, maybe if you are a people person, knock on their door and invite them, or if you have a friend. But I think community matters, and what we're doing here matters. And I believe that when we come together, 
we can experience true community as God intended, supporting one another in our doubts and our uncertainty, reminding each other, reminding each other. Man, this morning was a powerful reminder for me of God's presence, God's ability to bring up from the ground, from this old dust of me, God can do something. That's what we're doing together. And to me, that's a gift. That's a gift, and that's something I want to share, and I hope we can share together.